This is Bob Cutmore, and this is the Historian's Podcast, speaking to you from the Palatine Lutheran Church in the Mohawk Valley. We're attending the latest conference, the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley Conference, and you can hear some of the people on uh, today's bus tour in the background. We're going to learn more about the church, uh, which was built in the 1700s, and then on to other historic sites. Also on the podcast, we'll be hearing from the guest speakers at the conference, which was held, that part of it, at Fulton Montgomery Community College. And our tour continues. We're at the General Nicholas Herkimer home, uh, which is an important historic site in the western Mohawk Valley. In fact, I'm standing in what is General Herkimer's office. The room was used for business and military matters. Guests are thought to have included General Schuyler uh, during General Nicholas Herkimer's life and General George Washington after General Herkimer died. Significant items include a map of Tryon County, uh, which was the county that uh, had the county seat at Fonda that we now know as Montgomery County. Bob Cudmore is back on the tour bus, hearing the guy talk about British strategy in the American Revolution in New York as the tour group travels to the Oriskany Battlefield site and then to Fort Stanwix in downtown Rome. The army that's supposed to come up from New York City uh, under General Howe, who's the commander of the British forces in North America, decides instead to go to Philadelphia and to start chasing Washington around Brandywine and Germantown and that series of battles down there. I'm Bob Cudmore, and we're continuing our tour of the, the Mohawk Valley. We're in Rome, New York, where I've never been. And this is where Fort Stanwix is located. Before we got here, we went to the Oriskany Battlefield. And Travis uh, Bowman's uh, with us, who uh, works for the state. What was the importance of the Oriskany Battlefield? Oriskany Battlefield uh, has several layers of importance. The, the main layer of importance is that Herkimer's men, the column that, that went to Oriskany, it was attacked at Oriskany, was there to prevent the St. Ledger's army, which was coming down from the Lake Ontario, from effecting a junction with Burgoyne's army. So the plan was for these three large armies to meet at Albany and to march overland to Boston and to attack the Boston Heights from the landward side. So because of Oriskany, because of Herkimer's men and the bravery of the, the men there, they were able to stop that invasion of the Mohawk Valley and stop those two armies from linking up. Just one more uh, thing. I know we got uh, people actually boarding the uh, bus here. Uh, General Herkimer, as you refer to as General Nicholas Herkimer, we also uh, visited his home. Yes, uh, General Nicholas Herkimer's home is, is uh, nearby. It's, uh, in fact, it's on, the, it's on the south side of the river, as I recall. Yes. Uh, it's near Little Falls, and Herkimer actually controlled the Great Carry, the portage around Little Falls. So Herkimer and his, his men, his slaves, uh, and the people who work for him would actually carry people's boats around Little Falls so that they can continue west or east on the Mohawk River, depending on which way traffic was going. Benedict Arnold remains a controversial figure in American history. He ultimately betrayed the rebel cause by trying to surrender West Point on the Hudson River to the British. The plot was uncovered, and Arnold fled to a British warship, then fought for the British. Before the betrayal, 
Arnold had aided the rebel defense of Fort Stanwix, and Arnold was a major player in the Saratoga battles where he was badly wounded. Two filmmakers from New York State's Capital District are working on a feature-length documentary on Arnold's life. Tom Mercer and Anthony Vertucci showed the trailer for their film and spoke to the crowd at this year's American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley Conference at Fulton Montgomery Community College in Johnstown. We'll hear from the filmmakers after we hear the audio to the trailer of the film, Benedict Arnold, Hero Betrayed. He sacrificed his fortune for the Patriot cause. Was wounded twice in battle. George Washington called him his fighting general. To his men, he was a hero, rising to face the enemy when no others would. He was liberty's greatest champion. But today, we call him traitor. For the first time, the American Revolution as never seen before. Benedict Arnold and George Washington are the two key players that have prevented the British from uh, their one opportunity of completely defeating the American Revolution. Stories that inspire the hardship the sacrifice, the betrayal. Do you have enough determination to stick it out, to undergo these conditions again and again? We're not asking for just a few months. We may be asking for more and more years. See the brave who won our freedom and the hero that led them to victory. I think Valcour Island is one of the most unheralded battles in the entire American Revolution. Battlefield loss or no battlefield loss, it is Benedict Arnold who strategically won the first battle of Saratoga. You do not cross him and expect there to be no reaction. He had given everything he could to this country. They never paid him a penny, and I don't think anybody ever said thank you. And by investigating his life and by investigating what made him a hero and ultimately investigating what perhaps turned him into the greatest villain of the revolution, we will learn what this revolution was all about and in the end what it did actually accomplish. And we're at the uh, American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley Conference at Fulton Montgomery Community College. Speak with a couple of filmmakers. Anthony Vertucci, are you na native of Amsterdam? I am actually a native son of Fort Johnson. Oh, Fort Johnson, yeah, which is a, very good. Yeah. Um, tell us what, what uh, you and your colleague are doing here. We uh, produced a, a documentary film about the American Revolution, in particular Benedict Arnold, called Benedict Arnold, Hero Betrayed. We shot all over New York State. It's a major focus of, uh, of our film is the story and all of the battles and sequences that took place in this part of the country. He got kind of a bum deal. 
He did, yeah. We, uh, our film really delves deeply into his story, and his story starts to under, you know, really starts to uh, outline the dark underbelly of the revolution. We think that's yeah. a positive thing because it gives us a more objective view of our own history. That's Anthony Vertucci, and oh, I don't have a. I'm Tom Mercer. Tom Mercer. Uh, I'm the co-producer. Uh, we're. I'm also local. I grew up in Saratoga Springs, and so the Battle of Saratoga was like in my blood. I used to play in the battlefield when I was little, and I've known about Benedict Arnold since I was little. And I always thought that uh, he didn't really get a fair shake in uh, the history books. So when we met up as filmmakers and decided to do this project. Uh, it kind of became clear that this was a vehicle to tell the untold story of what happened in our own region during the revolution. It's kind of been given the short shrift in the history books because to tell our story and to tell it properly, you have to tell the story of Benedict Arnold. And that has always been the third whale of American history. So the title of our documentary is Benedict Arnold, Hero Betrayed. And the first half of our story we show what a hero he was. In the second half, we show how his country betrayed him. And uh, Tom Mercer, the one thing that pops in my head up at the, I believe the Saratoga battlefield, a monument to uh, Benedict Arnold's leg. That's right. Uh, many will say that the only thing that he gave for his country was his leg. And so the monument there is just a, a man's boot. Um, in fact, uh, other monuments uh, are similar. The Surrender Field Monument has an empty niche where Benedict Arnold's statue would appear. And down at West Point, they have plaques commemorating all the commandants of the fort uh, over the years. And there's one where Benedict Arnold's name should appear, but it's only two dates of the dates of service. Uh, Mercer, I feel like one of those e-reporters, you know, there's a reward show about to start because you're about to show your uh, documentary or a portion of it. Anthony Vertucci, what, what are your hopes for this? Uh, where will this be seen? Well, we uh, right now at some point it'll probably go to PBS. Uh, we're also focused on a digital release for it, so you can find it on iTunes or Amazon S3. Uh, you know, some form of digital distribution will definitely be a part of our strategy. If you want to know more about this Benedict Arnold documentary, visit BenedictArnoldHeroBetrayed.com. 2017 was the third year that Norm Bolin and Brian Mack from the Fort Plain Museum led a team of local people in arranging the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley Conference. Norm and Brian were inspired by similar events, held in Williamsburg, Virginia. The first year, the conference took place at Arkell Museum in Canajoharie. Last year and this year, the talks by Revolutionary War researchers and authors were done at Fulton Montgomery Community College. Last year and this year, bus tours were offered to historic sites. The tour I attended this year, visiting Palatine Church, the Herkimer Home, the Oriskany Battlefield, and Fort Stanwicks in Rome, New York, was dubbed Drums Along the Mohawk, as the guided tour buses traveled to sites that figured in the 1936 Walter Edmonds novel, Drums Along the Mohawk, which was made into a 1939 movie starring Henry Fonda, whose ancestors, by the way, can be traced back to the founders of the village of Fonda in the Mohawk Valley. The other bus tour this year was called Mohawk Country, 
and visited Fort Plain Museum, the 1747 Nellis Tavern, Fort Clock, Old Fort Johnson, the St. Kateri Tekawitha Indian Museum, Fort Hunter Skeheri Crossing, and the Stone Arabia Church, including the grave of a man named Colonel John Brown. He was a New Englander who fought on many occasions in the Revolution, who was killed in the Battle of Stone Arabia in the Mohawk Valley in 1780. Attendance at the conference has been about 200 the past two years. Many come from the local area, but others travel from Baltimore, Alabama, New York City, and other places in America, and the conference attracts Canadians, especially those who are descended from the Loyalists, who relocated from New York to what is now Canada because of the American Revolution. Ten expert guests addressed the conference this year. Several of the talks focused on the 1777 Battle of Saratoga, New York, considered the turning point in the war. This American victory prompted France to enter the fray on the side of the rebellion. You're listening to Bob Cutmore on the Historian's Podcast. Bob Cutmore here at the American Revolution and the Mohawk Valley Conference. We're talking with Eric Schnitzer, who's a park ranger and has written extensively about uh, interesting topics having to do with the American Revolution. Um, And in particular, at the uh, conference here, talked about the tactics uh, at the Battle of Saratoga in 1777. You said that you kind of get right into the weeds. I mean, it's very very specific. Um, For example, let me just ask you about some of the things you talked about. The uh, British Army that was there in Saratoga a number of them were German, and, and you made a big point of that. And, of course, people in this audience had heard of the Hessians, but there were more Germans than these Hessians. Would you be kind enough to explain that and explain who the Hessians were and who were the other Germans? Sure. When the Revolutionary War began in 1775, the British Army realized it had a, a, a personnel problem. So what they tried to do is expand their own redcoat British regiments, but they could only do it by having volunteers join the redcoat ranks. And a lot of people in Britain and in Ireland did not want to join British regiments that were perhaps destined for service in America. So uh, the British Army was realizing they needed to fill up their ranks with, with something else uh, beyond. Ireland and Great Britain. So the British government and the Hanoverian government, which was a German nation state, developed a scheme in which people would be recruited in the electorate of Hanover. They could be from anywhere in Europe, and many of them were, but people would be uh, allowed to voluntarily join the British army. And about 2,000 of these mostly German people, but there were even some Poles in the ranks and a couple of Frenchmen too, uh, or Alsace and the like, uh, they, they join the British Army in Europe. So they, they, they become uh, you know, recruits for the British Army in Europe. Then they're transferred over to join their redcoat regiments fighting here in America during the Revolutionary War, which, as you can imagine, caused a lot of uh, tensions and, and biases and problems because yeah. these people don't speak English. A communication problem, but you also uh, tell the story of a one of these German soldiers who was serving as a redcoat who was court-martialed for leaving his post, which apparently he did, but in his uh, deposition for the trial, uh, he he, uh, just has a list of things that, you know, the ways he was treated badly by the uh, the British military. Yes, indeed. In his deposition, he said, and I 
personally don't uh, uh, disbelieve it one bit. I'm, I'm sure he's correct. Uh, he said he was being discriminated against outright because even though he's a British soldier, he is German. So he goes on to say how he had not been paid. He talks about how he was, as he puts it, naked uh, because uh, the clothing was, was falling off of him. And upon trying to get clothing, uh, it came late. And then his officer gives him a pair of shoes and throws one of them at him, hits him in the head. He talks <laughs> horrible. He talks about how he couldn't keep his own clothes clean. He had to wash his own clothes because the British followers, the wives of British soldiers whose job it was to wash, refused to wash for the guy because he was German and they were discriminating against him, even though they were in the exact same company of the same regiment of the same army. So is the takeaway that one of General Burgoyne's problems was he had this large German contingent in his army who at the very least would have trouble understanding the commands. Absolutely. Uh, General Burgoyne said it himself in a letter to the Secretary of State for American Colonies, Lord George Germain, that the regimental commanders of his army, the Redcoat Regimental Commanders, were very displeased about the prospect of having these German men serving in the Redcoat ranks. He says that they were dejected, they were unhealthy, they were just poor soldiers uh, by and large. Let's go with this, uh, maybe a misconception on the American side. You said that uh, you, you hear about that the Battle of Saratoga, American, America had rifle marksmen who were very skilled, and they picked off uh, the British officers, and that you know led to problems for the British. You did a very detailed study of one of the battles leading up to the main battles of Saratoga in, in which you found that, well, what, what did you find? Yeah, I found that the stereotype does not hold water for the Battle of Freeman's Farm, the first battle of Saratoga. Uh, The the truth is, uh, Daniel Morgan's Rifle Corps uh, consisted of 400 officers and men. They were involved in that battle for most of the day. The battle went from about 12.30 a.m. to about 1 o'clock p.m. There was a lull, and then from about 3 o'clock p.m. to about 7.30 p.m., the battle was was taking place. So you have 400 riflemen involved in the battle for hours and hours and hours, yet the officer corps casualties of the two armies were almost equal, 31 to 34. And um, it does, I'm afraid, (laughs) say that the riflemen could not have been as good as marksmen as uh, uh, history generally uh, lends us to believe. Uh, and again, we were speaking to uh, Eric Schnitzer. Uh, you're, you're a park ranger at Saratoga. Yes, sir. And, and what do you you have uh, written? Parts of books and and so forth. How can people find out more about what you've written? Sure. Um, I have written some journal articles and maybe rather esoteric journals that aren't uh, found much. I did publish an article last year on two battalions of Connecticut militia, which served in the battles of Saratoga. That was published in Fort Ticonderoga's annual journal publication called The Bulletin, and it would have been last year, 2016. I did write chapter two in this book, The Saratoga Campaign, Uncovering and Embattled landscape in which I discuss the tactics of the battles of Saratoga. And I do have a website where it's not, it's more meant for kind of a general audience. It doesn't get too detailed with citations and the like, but citations are always available if necessary. And that is www.62ndregiment.org. That's 62ndregiment, one word, Org. And on that website, I have a lot of primary source research information uh, with regard to British forces in the battles of Saratoga. Well, thank you very much, Eric. 
My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. If you enjoy the Historian's Podcast, we welcome your contributions to our GoFundMe campaign. It's easy to give at GoFundMe.com forward slash Historians 2017. If you enjoy the Historian's Podcast, you can also donate by mail. Send a check made out to Bob Cutmore to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And now an interview with a well-known archaeologist. Uh, Bob Cutmore continuing at the Mohawk Valley American Revolution Conference, and we welcome uh, archaeologist and anthropologist Dean Snow. For many years at the uh, University uh, at Albany, uh, now you're at Penn State? I am. I'm retired now, but I'm still in the State College. Very good. Uh, your topic here uh, had to do with uh, the Battle of Saratoga and the involvement of, uh, I believe, the, the Iroquois nation. That's right, and some other nations as well. Uh, I was asked to cover that topic by the conference organizers. My book on the subject of Saratoga just came out last fall, uh, and it does not mention very much about the Indians, although it does touch on that subject, so I'm expanding on that here today. What I mean, were the Indians divided in terms of who they supported at Saratoga? Well, the Iroquois nations were divided. The Mohawks uh, and the Western uh, Iroquois were largely British uh, supporters, and it was the Oneidas and the Tuscaroras that supported the Americans. And so they they were divided, and the, the grand fire at Onondaga had, had to be covered and put out because the, uh, the Iroquois Confederacy was split by the revolution. Well, we, we've heard quite a, a lot about that, that and similar things during uh, this particular conference. You know, that the idea that the revolution in the Mohawk Valley was a large part of a civil war um, among not only the uh, Native Americans, but also the uh, immigrant Americans. That's true, and it was very bitter. Uh, there were uh, atrocities on both sides including uh, one committed against one of my ancestors. So I uh, have a personal uh, interest in this. Really? One of your own? Who was that? Uh, someone uh, that uh, married into my uh, the Snow family early on. Uh, and he, it was a woman whose grandfather had been uh, scalped and left for dead. Uh, and um, uh, fortunately, he lived. And uh, later, uh, his granddaughter uh, married one of the Snows. Uh, if that hadn't happened, if he hadn't survived that scalping, I don't know who you would be interviewing right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And since you brought up the family, um, and I think you're quite proud of this, you're Dean Snow, and you're the father of Kate Snow, the uh, television journalist. I am. Yeah, I'm lucky in uh, that regard as well. So now she's probably more famous than you. Oh, probably. Uh, and that's, that, that's as it should be. Very good. Well, thanks very much. You're welcome. Dean Snow's latest book is titled 1777, Tipping Point at Saratoga. Other speakers at this year's conference included Todd Braestead, a longtime researcher of Loyalist military history. Todd Braestead, who lives in New Jersey, was made an honorary vice president of the United Empire Loyalist Association of Canada, the only American to have ever been so honored. He presented on the Royalist Corps, Loyalists who fought for General Burgoyne in the battles at Saratoga. Christian McBurney, an independent historian and author of the recently released book 
abductions in the American Revolution. He resides in the Washington, D.C. area. Christian McBurney was raised in Kingston, Rhode Island, obtained his undergraduate degree from Brown University. On both sides in the Revolution, one side would kidnap top people from the other side. Robert Geek presented to us. He's written about Rhode Island and New England history for over 40 years. He's the author of eight works of history. Robert Geek's talk was based on his recently released book, From Slaves to Soldiers, the First Rhode Island Regiment in the American Revolution. Wayne Lenning also spoke to the conference and did other uh, tasks for the conference. Wayne Lenning is vice chairman of the Fort Plain Museum Board of Trustees. He's had a 50-year-long interest in the interplay of Native Americans, European, and African cultures in the Mohawk Valley region. Wayne Lenning is from Fort Johnson, spoke on his book, Mohawk Valley in 1780, The Year of the Burning, the War on the Mohawk Frontier. Wayne has discussed this topic on a previous Historians podcast. Matthew Hollis and David Ranzan also spoke. Matthew Hollis is a Ph.D. candidate in history. David Ranzan is the university archivist and special collections librarian at Adelphi University. Together, Matthew Hollis and David Ranzan have co-edited Hero of Fort Schuyler, Selected Revolutionary War Correspondence of Brigadier General Peter Gansevoort, Jr. Their talk was titled, Middling Officers in the Mohawk Valley. And another favorite at this year's conference was Bruce Ventner, who performed as Gentleman Johnny Burgoyne, the British general who lost the 1777 Battle of Saratoga. Bruce performed at the conference banquet at the Van Alstyne Historic Home in Canajoharie, New York. And Daniel Savillage was the last speaker, and he really kept the uh, audience in their seats with his research on musket balls. Daniel is one of the founders of the concept of electronic battlefield archaeology. He developed the formula for determining the diameter of a non-spherical musket ball. He surveyed many battlefield sites. He's author of the recent book, Musket Ball and Small Shot Identification, a Guide, Daniel Savillage. By the way, one of the things he told us, did you know that pigs and rats have been known to chew on musket balls, the musket balls left after 18th century battles? On the next episode of the Historian's Podcast, we'll hear from American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley speakers, Dr. William Fowler, who's a distinguished professor at Northeastern University in Boston. He has a new book out on George Washington and problems that Washington encountered after the Battle of Yorktown before the peace with Britain was signed. Canadian expert on the 18th century American rebellion, Gavin Watt, will speak with us, as will history blogger Peter Feynman, who always you can be counted on for a strong opinion on history, and reenactor and author Philip Weaver, who also joined us last year at the conference. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, 
Produced at Dave Green's Eastline Studio, I'm Bob Cudmore.